welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, and the best-selling author of the book, U-Turn. Get unstuck, discover your direction, design your dream career. I wrote the U-Turn book and I created this podcast to help you reconnect to who you truly are. And that is why every single week I bring on a guest with tools to really help you long-term upgrading your confidence, both in your work life and in your love life. And I'm also so grateful to say that this episode has been sponsored in part by our friends over at Soul CBD. They create the highest quality CBD on the market, and it's this trust I have with their brand that has led me to use their products every single day. Everything they make is organically farmed, gluten-free, with absolutely no THC in it. And today, I want to tell you about one of their game-changer products that probably everyone needs, especially when they're having a stressful week and they're on the go, and it's called Soul CBD's Dream CBD Capsules. Each capsule has 25 milligrams of pure CBD and two and a half milligrams of melatonin. So whenever I travel to a different time zone, these are what allow me to get past the jet lag. I simply take one every night of my travels about 30 minutes before bed, and it pretty much guarantees me to be able to sleep through the night. And after four to five nights traveling and taking them every night, I'm officially on the new time zone. I also take a dream CBD capsule the night before a really big or important work day. Like if I have a meeting that really matters, a speaking engagement that might be keeping me up in my thoughts all night. What I love about the dream CBD capsules the most is that I never wake up groggy the next day. I'm refreshed. CBD and melatonin truly go together like peanut butter and jelly. So to get your dream CBD capsules now and to be on to better sleeps, head on over to ashleystall.com slash soul and make sure you use the code U-Turn at checkout for 15% off your order. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash S-O-U-L and use the code U-Turn. Y-O-U-T-U-R-N at checkout. Now let's get in to this week's episode. Everyone, it's Ash here. Another week on the U-Turn podcast. I have someone really special here for you. She is a professor at Purdue. She's a leading U.S. social scientist and thought leader on work, family, and employment issues. When she started with this topic, there wasn't a lot at the intersection of work and family, believe it or not. Um, an award-winning, renowned organizational behavior, gender, and like I said, work family expert. Um, and her name is Ellen Ernst Kosick. I am so grateful. Did I pronounce that correctly, by the way? Sure did. Woo! Okay. I'm so <laughs> grateful that you're here. 
And um, she wrote a article for the Harvard Business Review about the future of flexibility at work. And I know that this is top of mind for so many people. So without further ado, I am am so excited to welcome you. Thank you for being here. Glad to be here, Ashley. Well, okay. So I'm assuming that not everyone is going to read the article in Harvard Business Review. And when I looked at it, I saw that there's an option to listen to the article and it's 40 minutes, which is pretty significant amount of time. And I am so impressed with the the research that you've done. So for anyone who is the Cliff's Notes person on this podcast, um, what can you share as an overarching truth of the future when it comes to flexibility at work? Well, I think the future, as we've learned from the pandemic, is that all of us that have experienced uh, many of the downsides of flexibility where the employer says you can work all the time with boundaryless work uh, may, may not like that part of it. But what we do not want to go back to is not being able to control flexibility to have personal life uh, fit with our work demand. So maybe we like the opportunity to exercise more and, you know, in our home uh, neighborhood, even though, you know, we didn't like being there for two years or we like to be able to control what we ate for lunch or let our dog out if we were a teleworker. Now, some of your listeners may have frontline jobs. And I think one key thing that I really think is important is you have the power now. There's a labor shortage and you may not feel like it and your job may not be your perfect job, but I think Every job can have some flexibility, whether it's the ability to trade a shift or just to have time that you're not available to email or calls. So let's just start there. Flexibility is a two-way street, and that's something that I don't think we really thought about as much in the past, but it really has to be balanced flexibility that helps you feel good as a person as well as helps help your company uh, perform. Mm. Okay. So I've got to say, you know, I'm looking at the amount of data that you share and, um, you know, there's a lot of conversation about the hybrid work model and you talk about coming out of the pandemic, how a lot of companies have announced that they plan to quote unquote, embrace flexibility, um, as it relates to the hybrid model. And you were saying that this is for three key reasons. First, that they believe that the 24 seven remote work form of flexibility can be leveraged to support productivity. But second employees, especially millennials, which I could have said this one, they're threatening to quit. And and we're seeing, you know, right now the great resignation, more people quitting their jobs than we've seen in two decades, which is, and, and also the length of joblessness um, being longer than usual. So we're seeing that they're quitting and it's taking longer to get work again. Um, and then the third reason you talked about was some leaders assume that when employees are permitted to work flexibly, they automatically experience more harmony. Um, but I also know that you were arguing that these kind of rationales, they oversimplify this challenge um, in making flexibility at the core of an organization. So can you explain a little bit more about, uh, you know, just some more depth on hybrid work and, and why is this an oversimplification? I think companies have done a better job of offering flexibility than in helping managers and employees figure out how to implement it in ways that protect employees' careers and uh, are, are, is an inflexible flexibility. So um, we haven't really realigned, like, how are you going to be onboarded if you go to a new job and you're 100% remote? Uh, how is your performance going to be measured since we're not using 
FaceTime or there might be times you can't make a virtual meeting? How do you develop culture and collegiality? And so I think um, companies haven't thought enough about how to help you work more flexibly. Uh, maybe you want a remote job. I don't think people should have to take a pay cut personally if you work remote, if it's something that everybody can use, unless there's a legal reason. Like if you're in a bank, you might have to work in the state where you work. But uh, so I think right now, as an employee, you may have more knowledge about how flexibility works for you than your boss even knows. You've probably given it more thought. And I don't think, um, I think what you can do is help your manager and your team customize how flexibility is going to work so that your coworkers and you are figuring out together as a group deal. That's one of the main things that I think is really important. Don't go it alone. These individual, what I call ideals or ad hoc individualized deals, they're not sustainable. At some point, you're likely to be stigmatized. So I think it's better, but everybody needs an ideal, right? We all want something different, whether it's that we want to get home at five to let out our dog, or we want to get off work to be able to go to school, or we want to live in another state because that's where our partner is. And so I think what's the place to start is to talk with other coworkers on your team on flexibility they want and to come to the boss with some ways that work would get covered. What are reasonable hours? Uh, you know, can we? What are regular meetings that we have to go to, and can we keep them shorter and and uh, make it not this individual deal, which I think flexibility was before the pandemic. It was sort of like, oh, I need off tomorrow. You know, my my kid's sick, or I'm sick. Well, now it's and then we went to boundaryless work, and I think now the future of flex is how can we make this a system that allows flexibility for everyone. Mm, okay. So another thing that I was kind of noticing was, you know, you talked about how evidence indicates that when women specifically use flexibility more than men do, that they've faced lower pay, stalled careers, and you said backlash. And I saw some recent articles and I wrote one for Forbes about how leaning into remote work can mean leaning out of your career in some way, because it's still a fact that, or at least the data indicates that FaceTime translates into promotions and translates into likability. And no matter how much we try to neutralize and data, for lack of a better word, data, data ties, I'm thinking that, uh, that the, the truth is that we are still humans running organizations and we still have our feelings and we choose pe- people based on um, not just the merits of their work, but how we feel working with them. So do you have any feedback for anyone right now who's very career driven? They want some flexibility, but they're also kind of working within the the very real data of wanting to accelerate their career. Um, I, I love your suggestion to kind of band together as a team. Obviously, it's probably a very fine line with your boss of not wanting to look like you're like, you know, throwing the crown. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm sure there's a very non-threatening way to initiate that conversation and and be really receptive with your with your manager. But what what would you share just on the practical side of, hey, look, this is what the data indicates. So consider these things while you want flexibility. Well, I think um, women and also men that are more involved in child care, elder care, just other uh, gendered roles that aren't considered traditionally masculine all in all the time, face this risk. But 
The reality is we know for years, like in your article, that women use uh, flexible arrangements such as part-time work more than men because they're combining work with other roles. Um, We also know that women have more gaps in their employment history because they have the baby, they're nursing, or uh, just, uh, I I think there's just, uh, women hit a plateau and minorities hit a plateau and then switch employers or take time out more to say, I want to try something new. So I don't know. I don't think flexibility has new issues as we move to more of a remote world than ever than uh, flexibility did in the past. I think what's important and what I've been involved in with uh, NIH study where I'm doing training of leaders to try and be more work-life supportive is I think I think managers have biases and I think it's very hard for you as an individual to get, again go it alone but maybe flexibility needs to be thought of as a part of a diversity and inclusion program years ago I was asked to give uh, talks to uh, companies like a Booz Allen on working remotely as a diversity forum because you're not in the meeting, your internet might not work, your picture might go out. I mean, it it is it will affect. It, it, I guess what it is is in the demography of your group. If you're the only one, just like if you were the only woman, you were the only minority, you're the only junior person, you could be stigmatized. Mm-hmm. So I think you kind of have to read the politics of your your workplace and if if uh hybrid where people are in on certain days seems to be important if you live and it's not a in an area where it's not a horrible commute i think you kind of got to go at least with the hybrid program rather than the full full remote it that could hurt your career and people do get isolated particularly early in your career Mm -hmm. longer term it may not be as big a deal and I do know people, millennials that are working at companies where 40 to 50% of the workforce is remote and there, it might not be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you, if only 10% of your workforce now uh, or 20% is working remotely as everybody's back to the office, because there's a belief that creativity and culture can only be created when we're all together, then you are facing some career risks in how uh, you're using flexibility. Hey, U-Turners, this episode is sponsored in part by our really good friends over at Organifi. And what I absolutely love about them as a company is that their products are perfect for someone like me who has a busy schedule but really wants her nutrients on the go. It can be really hard to set that time aside to do the juicing or eat your greens. And that is why I've particularly fallen in love with their green juice powder. This powder has become something I just throw into my protein shake to make sure I'm getting my greens on. And oddly, I've gotten so into it that now I'm throwing it into my morning coffee with a nut milk, which somehow is making my coffee taste like a peppermint coffee. No idea how that happened. But truly, even if I had the time to juice vegetables or make massive salads, I don't always love that taste of the dark leafy greens. Their green juice powder is packed with superfoods like moringa, chlorella, mint, beetroot, matcha, wheatgrass, ashwagandha, turmeric, so much more. I always give myself a little pat on the back when I throw a scoop of their green juice powder into my day. So if you want to give their green juice powder a try, I can't recommend it enough. Head on over to Organifi.com slash U-Turn. That's O-R-G. 
A-N-I-F-I.com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N and make sure you use that U-turn code at checkout for 20% off. And if you're weird like me and you throw some green juice powder into your coffee with your nut milk, please send me a DM on the gram and let me know what you think of my little concoction. All right, now let's get back to this week's episode. Well, and I, I wanted to make sure I asked you about that because I think that there's such a fine line between creating the career you want and working in the very physical world that we're in. There's the vision you have and the reality that you're in and kind of finding that space between. You also talk about you know the traditional approaches and how leaders have typically managed flexibility in one of two ways. Either it's been an accommodation around in individual work-life events like illness or childcare, and it's it's like a tool to you know attract or retain talent. You also talk about how um, there's been this boundaryless working that has been going on when it comes to flexibility, where there's flexibility, but you're actually expected underneath it to be available all the time. And I think a lot of people are feeling that. I was reading some research um, over with uh, Dan Chabel at Oracle talking about how the average American worked around five more hours a week during the pandemic, which is like another part-time job. So, yeah. you know, and I just wonder on an evolutionary level, I'm like, are we meant to sit at a desk this many hours? So, you know, I I'm curious, like, what is your take if someone is in that culture where they're expected to be on all the time, because I can't help but think that's, that's like an innate cultural issue. If that's kind of the pulse of where you work. Yeah, no, very good point on that. Um, I've actually done a lot of research, like started like 10 to 15 years ago on work-life boundaries and actually went over the Singapore government invited me over to give a talk on boundary control and this idea, um, so so for your readers, what's really important is to think about how you're managing when you're on and off and connected to work and to try and see if your work group can have some norms. So you can think about whether you're an integrator. Many millennials are integrators. They are switching back and forth between, you know, LinkedIn and, and uh, personal emails and texts and work. And then the separators are people that might do some of that, but they kind of work in chunks. So they might only text their partner at lunchtime or they make their doctor's appointment at lunchtime. Or even if you're working at home, integrators might be working at the kitchen table, but separators are at the door close to their office and they kind of work in a different part of their apartment. Although it's hard if you're working in a city and you don't have a, a big place, you might be working by your bedroom. Um, so I think, uh, what I've found and it's really important for you to think about are tips for boundary control. And that would be, you know, if you, it, letting your department know or your manager, hey, I'm off tomorrow and, uh, you know, I'm not going to be checking texts or emails. And once again, if you're the only one, you could be stigmatized for that. But I think having some clear signals about when you're on or off and what's an emergency. And if you really need to get a hold of me, text me, but, uh, you know, or or call me. but. I, I'm going to try and take an e-pre. Mm -hmm. And I've learned that boundary control and separate devices, like not having your work email on your personal cell phone or, or trying to keep your uh, laptop separate, um, having transition time between meetings. Sometimes, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if any of your listeners have had meetings go back to back to back and you can't even get a bio break in. So uh, what... Uh, companies like Microsoft did is uh, they're shortening their meetings to about 30 minutes and one for, instead of the hour. 
that we would have face to face normally and um, five minute by breaks in between meetings. So you could have a, an alarm go off and say, oh, got to go. And that gives you five minutes to just get up and stretch. And I worked with a company where they put in five minute bio breaks as a way to improve people's mood and feeling of not being tethered to technology all day long. Mm-hmm. Last thing is an intervention that we, I've tried to uh, talk, teach some managers is to not sleep checking your work email at night by your bed or on the weekends. And I know we're all tempted to because we are all addicted to the smartphone, but it really is not healthy. And there are, are, are things that you just really don't need to be to look at on the weekend unless the exception to that is. Uh, if you are someone that needs to take breaks during the workday for other things, like to pick up a kid from school or to go to your exercise class, and you'd rather spread it out over six days and five, whatever your work week is, I'm okay with that. I don't like saying people have to do everything one way, but what worries me is the night work and never getting away from work. Okay. And you know, I have to say uh, one interesting piece of research I read back when I was working in counterterrorism that really stuck with me. And I don't know if it's still the case, but the research was arguing that the enemy of the working mother who has all of the boundaries of kids and childcare and also the double burden of labor at the home. So she's usually one that will leave at 5 p.m. when she gets to leave because she has all these responsibilities that the true enemy of that woman tends to be the single woman who does not have children um, in the workplace. I'm curious if you've seen this research, if you have any thoughts on it and what advice you can give to both of these different types of women in the workplace. Well, I mean, I think I, I, I don't disagree with you that that backlash is there in the past, but I think in the work that I've done, use the word work family, but it's really work life. And I think companies use that word work life to expand the idea that everyone is a non-work need, even if they're not uh, someone with children. And so I think part of it is just to make sure that um, you try and step up and cover for your coworkers sometimes too. And, you know, don't make it that it just has to be only if you have kids to leave on time. But, you know, I think we all know that we could reach out and say, hey, I'm leaving at five today. But, you know, um, you know, if there's a day next week or in next month that you want to leave early, I'll cover for you. I mean, I think that's it's all about relationships and fairness and, and people with kids and elder care going on or just long commutes. They do have different needs, but I think we can all in other ways do what's called organization citizenship behaviors, which are extra role behaviors to help out your peers. And so uh, leaving early sort of we're fixating on one behavior. And maybe there's another way you can uh, provide cross coverage. It's just part of the culture that, you know, your work team needs to think that everybody needs some flexibility. Yeah. And that comes back to giving and getting right. Like balancing that. And it's interesting when you talk about boundaries, it's like, how can we have a conversation about flexibility without having a conversation about boundaries? And it, you know, I once heard someone say that someone who is resentful, almost always it's an issue of boundaries. Like if you have resentment, it's because you just haven't set a boundary of where you stop and something else starts. And, and maybe you endured something for too long that trespasses on, on, um, what you value or what you need. And so, you know, I'm looking at everything you've talked about and I saw you reference a she session, which 
like what a term and also how real it was back in December when most of the jobless or all of the women that were leaving their jobs or the numbers were women. I was shocked. I remember when seeing the data that in the month of December, I believe it was 2020. Yeah. December, 2020, most of the job losses were of women. So what can you share about why this is happening and what is your take on what's to come in the future with that? Well, if any of your listeners right now have children that aren't yet vaccinated or have to deal still with homeschooling, if there's a surge, I mean, that's part of it. We had very fragile systems set up where professionals with kids or in, you know, were going to work and hoping that the child care center was working well and did never break out. And, and when something happened, women picked that up. And I don't think we're totally back to normal. Um, I have a paper coming out on uh, women in STEM, 200 uh, universities, high tech, really smart women, PhDs. And what happened is during COVID, uh, those, um, they, they, they were able, or they had disrupted boundaries. And they had their peers now could see their personal life a little bit more. And I think a lot of what we do about boundaries is managing our identity and not wanting our uh, people to judge us, our coworkers to think we don't have it all together because, you know, we're leaving early because our child's acting out or we just need to get away because we need to run because we're depressed or whatever. And I think that's what the, the issue is going forward is we're not back to normal. A lot of child care centers close. We don't pay child care workers enough. We pay people to pick up our garbage more than we pay people to take care of children. Nursing homes can still have outbreaks. People are not fully vaccinated. And at whatever your listeners' political views are, I want to respect that. But the reality is when people are together in group homes and not everybody's vaccinated, there's a risk. So I really think that it could be decades before we get back to gender parity. And I think that there's going to be a lot more self-employment. I think there's going to be more homeschooling. I think it's not, I'm not sanguine about the prospects for women's advancement. Um, I worry that we're, we're going to lose a generation of uh, rising because we don't have very many women that are CEOs. And, and this intersects with gender and with race and it intersects with income and other forms of difference in our society. Hey, U-Turners, I want to take this moment to say that this episode is sponsored in part by SaneBox, an email tool that I have been using every single day to be more productive and less scattered. With the average person working and getting 100 to 200 emails a day, I don't know about you, but I've been fighting the fight with email for a few years now, and after continuously losing, I decided that I needed help. I did my research and I was so excited to find SaneBox as an affordable tool for my Gmail and it works with any other email provider really that can sort your emails for you before you open up your laptop and get lost in the sauce. All you'll see once you download it is on your sidebar where there's words like inbox or trash. There will be a couple other new folders that I'm totally obsessed with. One is called Sane Later, which is pretty much code for all the emails coming in that you don't need to see. And the other one, my favorite one, is called the Sane Black Hole, which is where you can drag and drop emails that you just don't want to be subscribed to anymore. 
The same later box automatically uses artificial intelligence to know that you don't want that email and it puts it right there in that folder. Every few days I check my same later folder, skim through it, and I'm just so happy to be saving so much time. I used to spend every single morning overwhelmed by my inbox and now I have so much more time on my hands thanks to SaneBox. So for the first couple of weeks, I monitored my SaneBox once a day and dragged and dropped messages from senders that I would have wanted in my regular inbox. And now I find that it perfectly knows who should and shouldn't be waking their way in my inbox. So head on over to www.sanebox.com slash U-turn. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash Y-O-U-T-U-R-N to access 14 days of SaneBox for free and a $25 credit to get a serious discount on the super affordable year membership now. It's time we all get out of our inbox and back into our life. Now let's get back to this week's episode. You know, it's it's um, it's interesting for me as a speaker. I mean, obviously having worked in national security, I, I was often the only woman in the room, um, which brought me a lot of inspiration and in career coaching. But also as a speaker on the speaking circuit, I'm booking so many keynotes. And I know that you do a lot of keynotes as well. And I find often that it's me and a, and a bunch of men. And it's not that I'm, I have a lot of, I mean, I have a lot of respect for, you know, all gender orientations. I think it's just interesting to really see those numbers in my life, in my world. And I know that so many women listening are seeing that. And you talk also about a national study of women scientists that found that although most they're, they're mostly male partners also work remotely during the pandemic, it was the women that ended up doing not 50, not 60, yeah. not 90% of domestic labor, meaning that fathers were unable or not willing to help. So that meant women managing virtual schooling, kids, pets, cooking, cleaning, you know, work, whatever it is. Um, and, and so you asked this question um, in Harvard Business Review of, so is the hybrid the magic flexibility pill? And I would love for you to answer that question of, um, is it, do you think that this is really important? Because you, you also talk about how companies are offering inflexible flexibility, which I think is such a fun term. Can you talk a little bit about that and how people can identify if maybe they're getting caught in that spiral? Yeah. Um, back in the gender issue, I think, you know, you had the pandemic, but we had these gendered roles. So it was little kids too, also wanting to go to mom, maybe more than dad or, or, whatever. So maybe your listeners could think about taking baby steps toward more gender equality in their domestic labor as a discussion to begin. Change begins at home and in our personal lives. Uh, you know, maybe talk about ways to change expectations about uh, cleaning or the perfect meal or, or trading off uh, chores uh, that aren't chores, right? We're picking up our kids. These are our relationships or we're finding time to exercise or be with men and uh, women outside of work. Uh, in terms of hybrid, as I said about changing systems for rewards and hey, hybrid is more than just saying, what days are you in at the office and what days are you at home? And so it's about culture change. It's about being, you know, it's you know, it's about being able to switch which days are hybrid if there's not a meeting and you know, there's a snowstorm or whatever, or just being able to have that freedom. 
So I think it, um, oh, the other thing I wanted to say is a lot of our assumptions about work and non-work and hybrid is that you have one employer. Well, you know, many of your uh, listeners may be gig workers or have multiple employers. And so now you're negotiating with more than one uh, employer. And I think that's a whole other thing out there in terms of flexibility. And you need to have that control in order to make all the balls in the air work. So I, I, what I really hope is that you're, you're where you work, uh, the managers and your team talk about how you support a culture of flexibility that is, uh, let, let's, you, you as an employee say, Here, here's the time I really need to be away or the conditions under when I need to switch the days and, and just work out a system. Uh, for example, airlines have this, uh, For if you need to do a shift trade, you can put up an open schedule. Who wants to take the Denver flight? We need to think more flexibly about that in our corporate workplaces as well. Okay. Love this. And I also, I don't know, it's, as you were talking, I was thinking about all these CEOs that have of big, you know, fortune 500 companies who come to me and say like, how do I satisfy these millennials? You know, like, what do I do to keep them? And it really does show that this idea of flexibility is so much more than just Monday, Wednesday, Friday is the meeting day and Tuesday, Thursday, you're home. And I love that you make the argument in this article that you should make flexibility available to all employees, that every single job deserves it on some level. And it doesn't need to be viewed as the scarce or privileged resource. Um, and, I, and I thought that was really um, bold for you to say that. And I, I really liked reading it um, and, and arguing that it is indeed possible. So um, I would love to hear what are some innovative ideas that you have or that you've shared around all of the different ways people can create flexibility at work so that right now, as they're listening, if they want to go have a conversation with their boss, they can say to themselves, all right, here's some of the different things I can work with or ask for in the name of flexibility. And I can find that groove with what is my employer willing to do. Start with for teleworkers and things like deadlines. It could be the idea of um, as long as we're not breaking Fair Labor Standard Act uh, rules for your job type, if you're non-exempt, but if you're exempt, you could think about hours of work being done over a week or over uh, two weeks or a month, but not just in terms of daily hours, for example. That's one thing. So, and really what your boss cares about and your company cares about is that things are getting done well that you're coordinating with your peers, you're not going it alone, and that customers and coworkers are able to contact you. So um, one of the things I worked with Northern uh, Trust, uh, writing up a case study that's in the article and in a number of other places, and they uh, had a way on somebody's laptop where a worker could look in and say, oh, you know, they're not at work today, but here's how I contact the person. Like, I think a number of us are kind of sometimes afraid to call somebody if they're at home and things like that. So for your teleworkers, I think part of it is just managing availability and being clear about uh, getting things done and covered. Uh, for people with frontline jobs, uh, one of the things that's been most effective is self-scheduling. And uh, if somebody has an extra shift, as I mentioned, to let other people cover it, or you start off with the schedule. I've been in nursing homes. And you say, what, what, what days do you want? And sometimes you can get 90% of the schedule filled, except at Christmas time, of course, uh, with workers' preferences. Uh, another is um, to have a general rotator person. If you offer to be cross-trained, 
uh, in a number of different roles, you might actually get more access to flexibility. If you have a job where you're the only one, that limits your flexibility because if you're not there, it just piles up. So part of this is, once again, not going it alone, but seeing if departments, uh, you could just band together to cover and back each other up. One company I worked with, uh, the, the, the clerical administrative staff had limited flexibility. And what uh, they finally, uh, you know, secretaries were having to drive into the office during a snowstorm when the directors were at home and their laptops. And what they started to move toward was uh, you got a buddy and said, I'll cover your boss, if you'll cover mine. And then they got summer hours every other Friday off. So once again, this cross-training, cross-department, and just covering what you think, if you were the manager, you'd want care about. The work gets done, there's coverage, people know how to communicate. We're not sending 20 doodle charts to set up a team meeting. We could do a whole meeting or a whole podcast on meetings and how unnecessary. We could have five more meetings to talk about how crazy meetings can be. Um, I saw that you also had mentioned that McDonald's recently added paid time off and an emergency childcare program to attract, you know, mostly, mostly hourly workers. Um, are there any other innovative models that you're seeing in the workforce, particularly the fortune 500 that you think is very much a re- progressive reflection of what's possible for companies in the future to, to consider or to adopt, especially if we've got some CEOs listening who are maybe thinking about how can they, satisfy their employees with this real look at flexibility, not this perceived idea of flexibility? Well, one is uh, the compressed work week that we see a lot with nurses and other jobs police. There's no reason that professionals couldn't have a compressed work week if they wanted to have four 10-hour days and have three-day work weeks or weekends. I mean, that would be three-day work weeks would be great, but three-day weekends uh, you know, that might give people um, a, be, be a uh, attraction tool. Um, another thing is, and this sounds like a horrible name, but it's really a positive thing. I think we're afraid of reduced load and part-time work. And I've done studies for the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation funded it on how consulting jobs, lawyers, doctors, jobs with extremely long hours where full-time is really 60 or 70 hours a week. Just uh, CEOs, rethink about talent, your ideas on talent and what makes a good employee and what makes a professional and what's career commitment and having some options where people are willing to take a 10% pay cut that they could limit their hours to a 90% load. You'd have to define what is full time, but that will allow you to retain talent. Many women, many men that want to have other things in their life besides just work and as their main uh, identity to have time for family. You know, if you have a child and you can never see your child, how much fun is that? Yeah. You, have ne- you know, so reduce load work. I actually think spreading out work to more people, you get more bang for the buck with somebody who's working 80% load, 90% load than somebody who's slogging along 60 hour weeks, tired, just frustrated and mad. Mm-hmm. We really have to be more flexible on what is considered talent and full-time employment in this country. Love this. And um, I know that we are still kind of treading on new waters, you know, like the fact that the pandemic really um, expedited needs and wants of so many workers that could have taken decades to make their way fully here in the way that they are a part of the social discourse right now. Uh, You talk a lot about the importance of prioritizing clear structures and policies in the workplace. Um, 
And I think that there's probably a lot of managers listening where their own team is asking them like, Hey, can I work remotely? Um, so do you have any feedback on, you know, how can some managers who are listening right now start to think about structures and policies or how can they communicate with their team or HR, um, to create that safety or that space, um, to discuss kind of what's coming next and, and what the real structures are that they have in place. I hope that managers are able to reach out to their HR and operations department for some tools on, you know, the tech, technological part of this about whether everybody needs an ergonomic chair if they work at home. I don't think so. I think some choice is given. Somebody else might want something else. But I do think starting with core hours of how we're going to communicate and um, say, you know, it's really important if you can to try and be in on, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or whatever the work week is. Like sales organizations often like people to be in at the beginning of the week and to set goals and then people are out traveling. So look at your work uh, processes. Look at what you've got to be done to serve customers well. And then set up a structure for meeting times and communication. Um, during the pandemic, I gave a number of talk to women's groups. On, and uh, one woman talked about how she had a child with special needs. She got home. Her kid was having a breakdown and her boss was saying, where is this? And I think uh, what we have to do here is basically give people the chance to renegotiate availability and, and when things get done and have some time when personal needs come first. So if there had been a backup person that could attend the meeting for her or help her, and that was set up that that was okay, or a way to say, you know, I need an extended day, not a big deal, this isn't urgent. That's part of structures and processes rather than ad hocing it. There could just be a way to say, I need another, you know, 10 hours that will be there tonight. Um, I, I think on the whole structure bit, there's a lot of telework experts on how to set it up. What I think is important is that uh, teams also talk about culture, communication, and expectations about what is quality work and meeting deadlines as a way to restructure this. I just want to close or, or mention toward, I know it's getting the end of our interview. I think many of your listeners may be rethinking their relationship to work yeah. and the importance of work. And I cannot emphasize how important it is for CEOs and managers to recognize that the pandemic with illness, death, and separation from people we love uh, has really caused people to say, you know, why am I working? America's a very long hours, individualistic culture. We're very, we have been successful in the past, but we're also saying, what is this getting us right now? We're working more than many countries in the world in terms of work first hours. And so I would caution leaders to not take a step back themselves. They're feeling it and think about how can we make work something energizing where it's not just about schedules, but people see it as enriching and adding and not burning out our lives, but helping us get energy. Like when you have a good day at work, I study work-family balance. You, you think about work-family conflict, but enrichment is when positive things at work cross over and you have a great day at the office and you're nice to your dog and you have a great day at home. And the same, if we're forced to you know, not have enough time to take care of our family, then we're feeling burnout and not, that we're not dealing with our identities that matter to us. We're not caring for our a family's well enough, we're not exercising and caring for ourselves, then we're not our best selves at work. So let's not think about work and non-work as separate buckets. 
but we're, it's a whole life deal and, and flexibility has to make people successful on and off the job. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to, um, I don't know, hear someone with research to make these arguments and the work that you're doing feels really important. Um, I also saw a really cool chart that I wanted to just point out for everybody around flexibility, where you talk about all the different types of policies that relate to flexibility. So you talk about schedule, you talk about the location of where you're working. So you can ask for flexibility on your schedule, um, flex time, a compressed work week, like you'd mentioned, shift swapping, self-scheduling, the place, meaning telework or remote work or telecommuting or hotel satellite offices, continuity, um, meaning that you can choose when to take time off without losing your job. Um, workload opt for a less than full-time schedule. I love that you brought up part-time work because I'm also seeing the millennial generation and Gen Z really take the lead on poly work. And I always tell people never underestimate the power of a part-time job. Um, Millennials started off doing poly work. I know just to kind of keep the lights on when they came out of the recession they needed multiple jobs to pay the bills. Now they're using polywork largely to express themselves. They're getting depth in their interests through working multiple part-time jobs. So I love that you take a stand for that because other than myself, I actually don't really hear many people talk about how cool a part-time job can be. And it seems like there's this collective misbelief that if it's part-time, it's like falling off the plate of the company or that yeah. it's not like an ideal job, but there's a lot of really ideal jobs. Um, and so, I mean, really, really great points. Is there anything, I mean, your article is so rich. Is there anything that I haven't asked you in particular that you really want to make sure people think about, um, whether they're a manager, whether they're an employee as it relates to the future of work, or do you have any like heads ups that you can give us to just think about as we are navigating the job hunt and workforce of tomorrow? No, you know, right now, people may not feel they have the upper edge in the economy, but I think you have to start with what what really makes you happy where you get energy and listen to your body and listen to just how you're feeling. And if you're not having time to give to things that you love in my work and work-life boundaries, that's when people are unhappy. They have lower work schedule fit, they're burnt out, they have, they're depleted of energy. So in thinking about negotiating for flexibility, start with to make sure you have time to give to those activities that are most important to you. And I often have people, I leave workshops, just make it, it's a simple exercise, but they, you write down 168 hours in a week and you say, how did I spend each day sleeping, eating, commuting, going online, multitasking? And if you look at how you're currently spending your time versus what activities and things you would like to be doing more or aren't even doing. And if they're not aligned, you don't have work-life alignment and you're not happy. Your schedule, your workload, uh, you know, just where your energy is going has to align so that you're spending time on those things that you love in uh, the way that works for you. Okay. Yeah. I love this. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I feel like, a lot of this conversation comes back down to presence, being present with what you're doing, creating results with where you are, being intentional with your times so that you can have a whole 
um, life and have wholeness. So thank you again for all of your time today. Is there anywhere that people can go check out more of your research? Um, or do you have any resources perhaps for managers who are kind of at the forefront of this in their workplace and they want to better navigate this conversation with their upper management and their under management or lower management? Well, I think they could start with the Heart HBR article, which I think you get like free downloads of five a month or something. I have a lot of articles online at Purdue, and I did start to organize my some of the articles in a you know website for research because I get written to from all over on, under ellencosick.com, but that's not even up to date. Um, I think you could just start there with the HBR article. Uh, there's also something I wrote called uh, Leveraging Flexibility That's Free with the Society of HRM, if you look up that. And uh, at Purdue, if you're interested about your boundary management style, I have a link It's uh, in an article called Managing Work-Life Boundaries in the Digital Age. And you could take a self-assessment to see if you're happy. And I, I don't, I mean, I just, I'm trending the data, but it's, uh, I think part is just doing some diagnostic thinking at the individual level and then at the team level, if you're a manager, you know, how are people working together and how can we have work-life alignment for individuals and then work-life alignment for my team overall and, and set up systems where uh, we're not constantly negotiating individual needs, but it's just part of the rhythm of how we work that there is some flexibility in the team processes. Mm, I love this. Thank you so much again for coming on to the show. It was great to meet you and uh, thank you very much for inviting me and have a great weekend. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast and thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-turns. We'll see you next week. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.